guys, you're listening to Greener Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Wee and Kelly McVeigh. Today, Kay and Kay, Kelly and I get into a discussion about mental health, anxiety, losing confidence, and communication. It is a deep topic that I feel like affects so many people and maybe people don't talk about it very often. So without further ado, here's our conversation. What I feel like the biggest lesson I've learned from doing podcasting over the last three months, I always thought that some of the issues that I felt like my family had with communication, with emotional intelligence, I thought it was because we were Chinese. I thought it was because I was first generation. My parents grew up somewhere else. They weren't used to America and kind of like the cultural difference between living somewhere else and growing up here. I thought that those were the reasons why we didn't have great family communication, something I had to deal with as an adult. But I'm learning that it's not because of those things. I feel like Almost everybody we really talk to about that says they had the same problems in their family. And you do too. So two things. One, I totally agree. And I think it's across the board on multiple subjects. I think that when we're talking to everyone and we're listening to their story and their journey, a lot of people have the same struggles in relationships and confidence and dating and raising kids and mom fails in work. In whether you're an entrepreneur or if you work for a corporate office, the pandemic, like sometimes I think when we're in a long life or we're having a down week, like we think it's us and that everything's crumbling around us or it's a circumstance that we're just in. But really, a lot of people are going through the same things every single day in all aspects of life. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm starting to understand that I shouldn't be so hard on my parents, number one. I think it's a generational thing. And even people that I know in our generation have a really hard time communicating. Do you feel like listening to me about my family? I don't know. What are your thoughts when you hear that? Like, I thought it was just us because. Well, listen, I think that I thought of the Asian stuff. I thought it was just my family because. My mom was sick and we dealt with things in a certain way. And so I think everyone has a thing that makes it clunky. Yes, I think you're saying like be more forgiving to your own parents. You know, how do you shift that a little bit so that when our kids come up, that it feels different for them? And is, is that possible? I think it's possible. I think I even talked to my kid who's not even two differently than my parents talked to me when I was that age, even though I don't have memory of it, because how would you remember something that at that age? But my parents don't even really know how to talk to me now. So I'm having full conversations with my daughter. I know she understands me. She can't say it back to me because she doesn't have a full vocabulary yet. She's only not even two. But I think that I already talked to her 
I have full conversations. I'm asking her, how do you feel about that? You know, I don't remember my parents saying, how do you feel about that very often? It wasn't part of their of their vocabulary or maybe it's that they were just like, okay, just got to provide for this family, got to build the business. So I'm thinking just about communication and hiccups in general. So I obviously have a wide span and really between your one, one year old, one and a half year old age gap. And then I, we, I have, you know, 10, 11, kind of 12 with my partner's kids. And then I have 19, 20. So like, we're talking about the whole spectrum of communicating with your children. And I think there is a little bit, Kenzie's probably the one that I communicate the most with. And she knows everything that I think she totally gets me. I get her, I think. And I feel like there's this great two way. There probably is a little bit where she knew so much of what was going on with me and work and relationships that it almost makes her more of a friend communication. And so I know she's going to be 20, but when you take a parent and a child and then you even it out, you keep evening it out, then it's harder for you to have other conversations. Do you understand what I'm saying a little bit? I do. I get it. Even though I haven't been through that yet. Yeah. I heard once that it's like, you know, when you're a boss, you have to have a certain relationship with your coworkers and that you can have a relationship that is somewhat of a friendship, but there still has to be this distant, like a little bit of a gap because once it becomes like this, then you're no longer their boss and you can't do certain things or have specific conversations with them. Once you even the playing field from a communication point, discipline standpoint. And so I always, when I heard that thought of Kenzie and the fact that Because we were so close and I shared so much and she knew all the ins and outs of what I was thinking and what I was doing that I like leveled us out too much where we were kind of like friends and on the same playing field that it made it trickier. The way I would compare that in my life is my students, because they're all adults, some of them older than me, some of them younger than me, but I'm quite close to them and I've had to do a little bit tweaking in the last year or so because if you don't have that authority, I couldn't do my job at the best of my ability if there was no sense of authority there. We can be friends, but when I'm in that space with them, I am their teacher, they're the student. But some people get confused by that. So I think it depends on the person. Maybe it also depends on the age. Possibly. I think I found that a little bit with assistants teaching me at the dance studio. Mm. You have those moments where you can kind of like joke around and you chat in between class or you tell them something that's going on. But I think that there were times that I kind of made it very friend friendy Uh and then something would happen or they'd be late or they would think that they could say like, oh, I'm doing this or I and it was like, whoa, no, that's not how this works. I don't know. Communication is such a huge in all aspects of life. It's just huge. Yeah. Almost like, okay, that boundary doesn't seem to be there. So all the other boundaries aren't there either. The people who really respect those boundaries, even if we break them sometimes by being friends and being friendly are the more mature ones. 
my more mature students still respect the boundary of teacher and student and then can turn it on and off when we're having conversation about, you know, like if we have kids, I have kids, my student has kids. We talk about raising them. So knowing that you feel like your communication, I wouldn't say is off, but is not what ideally you would want it to be with your parents. Do you think there's anything that you can do to shift it a little? Or do you think that it is what it is and it is how it is? Well, I actually spent a lot of time in my late 20s and 30s trying to work on this. I decided to go seek some talk therapy with a psychologist. And I thought I was going in there to like deal with some of my romantic relationships that were not going well. And of course, after like a session, she's like, this is about your parents. (laughs) This is about the issues that you had growing up. You know, it's so 101. The doctor must have like read me the first minute I walked in there. So during those years, she asked me to do all these assignments where she was like, okay, before next Monday, you have to go talk to your dad about A, B, and C. And I would be sweating it. I would literally wait till the last minute to call my dad to talk to him about blah, 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 because it's something that me, you know, it's like an elephant in the room. And she made me do it and she made me do it over and over and over. And I was in therapy for quite a while and I worked out a lot of the stuff. What I learned is that if I really want to continue doing that, the problem, not the problem, the hard part is that I have to do the heavy lifting because my parents are not going to, they don't know how to do it. I have to guide them into a better way of communication. They're really not in the place where they have the skill set. So I have to do the heavy lifting and sometimes I have the energy for it. And sometimes I definitely do not. And now having a one and a half year old, you probably don't have as much as you did even two years ago. As a single person. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But our relationship is definitely shifting because it, all the focus goes to the kid. You know, it, it all goes to the grandkid. It goes to my sister's relationship. It's all about my niece. So in that way, it's kind of an easier thing because we're not focused on our relationship with them so much, um, which is nice. And I feel like I can forgive my parents without having a lot of conversations with them because I think back on the things that were really, that would upset me in my 20s about the way my parents raise me versus my sister and my brother, and I can let a lot of it go. But still, that communication skill, it's not in them. Like I can, my parents try. It's just, it's just the way that, the way it is. I think somewhere in my 20s, I realized the reason why I felt so bottled up with emotion for many, many years is because when I spend a whole week with them, I realized that we haven't had any emotional conversations. And I usually do that a lot with my friends, with my partner, I get that out of me every single day. Usually I feel this. These are my emotions. I'm really upset today because, and me and my parents, me and my family, we never had that. I'm thinking a little bit, this, this goes for me for multiple parts of my, um, life. Like I am someone who likes to be happy, positive mindset, positive quotes, um, I'm not saying I don't ever have like down days and whatever, because I, I obviously do. But if it's something that's like negative or sad or bad, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not saying I don't want to talk about like if I get in a fight with Jeff or something and talk it out. But overall, like I don't want to talk about 
down stuff. Like my mom being sick. I know she's sick. I know there's lots of things wrong. There's nothing I can do besides love her and care about her. But like me having 10 conversations in my mind does nothing but make me feel bad, sad. So like, why would I want to talk about it all the time? But for her, that's a big part of her world. And most conversations go back to that. And it's not that I don't care what's going on because I do, Mm -hmm. but she wants to talk about that. And when I avoid the conversation or I don't engage or because I don't being honest, Mm -hmm. then she gets frustrated because she thinks that that means that I don't care. But it's the truth is, is I just be like, it just makes me down and I like to be happy. (laughs) So I think that that is obviously on me um, for our communication and that having better communication with her would partially be listening and stepping into what her world is every day, which is a big part of that. But I think that that's a lot of even past relationships. Like I don't want, I like to pull people up and people can't always be pulled up. And I don't mean pulled up in like life, but like, I mean, I guess even Jeff has said like, you know, it's okay if I'm having a bad day or maybe I just am mad right now. Like that's okay. And like, sometimes you think that you're going to like make me better or make me feel better or make me happy. And sometimes I'm, it's just okay to be mad or sad or whatever. And to have those feelings, I feel like it took 44 years to understand or realize that. Um, because sometimes people just want to be sad or mad or what, whatever, but I'm not good at communicating when it's things that would make me down. (laughs) That was a long version of saying that. Have you ever seen that movie inside out Disney Pixar? Yes. The lesson is that sometimes you need to feel, you need sadness to be happy. By the way, crying at the end of that movie, just just cry. The majority <laughs> of kids' movies. I mean, I totally know that sadness is part of, or down, or whatever, are all part of the things. Um, and I think I have to learn to come down a notch because I think sometimes when someone is depressed or having a rough patch, I'm not the person they want to talk to. And in the whole scheme of things, I would want to be someone that people reach out to, but I think I'm too. Mm-hmm. Happy. Well, people usually, not to say you want a pity party, but you want to commiserate. You want to be like, yeah, that's how that feels. And that feels like this because, oh, that's right. I feel validated. When you're having a crap day and your friend kind of backwards won't validate it because they're like, yeah, but you should feel happy. What I do a lot is say, wow, your feelings are really valid. Kind of have my own emotions about my own day, like on a different plate as theirs. For work, when people are trying to talk about like selling or the opportunity of the business, we use feel felt found. And I love this. And I had never done it when I like back in the day, I didn't use it myself personally. But I feel like you really could use this in life too. And not saying like you're going to use this formula, feel, felt, found. But it does work in the sense like I totally understand how you feel. I felt the same way before because. But what I found is... X. So I feel like it validates the person and it lets them know, like, I hear what you're saying. 
I'm listening. Mm-hmm. I, I have felt the same way. And then you still can give a solution without just giving a solution. I like that. The three F's also very rem- rememberable. <laughs> rememberable? Memorable. <laughs> I have to start using this in my actual life because I only use it for work. But I feel like I could totally use this in multiple scenarios. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like if I can't yeah. vent out and express myself almost every single day, I will feel crazy and terrible by the week's end. I've realized that as an adult. And I think this is the bottom line reason why my childhood in my own heart and spirit was really hard. Because I need that as a person and my family did not have that as a, as a unit. Because we're both emotional, like mm-hmm. just passionate emotion, feelings. Do you think that dance is part of the reason that we're that way or a release for all of that. Because I have to say, like, I obviously don't dance in the summer. Yeah. But when September flies around and I am in the the classroom, I have this like release of like energy, feelings, tension, where it like has a place to go. I mean, obviously, I feel like when I go for a run, it keeps me mentally sane. It keeps my, it gets those endorphins going. But dance is completely different because it's a feeling in itself where a run isn't, you know what I'm trying to say? I think some people do use the run in the same way, but since you do both, maybe one has a different purpose for you than the other. I have to say to answer your question, I don't think that I'm emotional because of dance. I think I'm just emotional. My anxiety lifetime issues I've now realized at my age now have been around since the beginning of time. And it makes me so emotional in a, in a, not a good way. And I am, I have a chemical imbalance. There's no other way to see it. It's I've done the, I did the talk therapy for so long because when you have anxiety, the best, the best way to deal with it is talk therapy. And then you see if you can handle it with just that. And then when you can't, and it's still there, then you turn to like, okay, let's deal with the chemistry in your brain, which is basically a medication. And I've realized that I cannot be without a certain amount because I'm, I'm imbalanced. Kelly, I used to cry. I cried too much. I would cry all the time. And it's not like sad movie cry. It's like, I can't handle whatever's going in my head and I'm spinning like spinning anxious thoughts. I can't stop it. And then it goes into this like teary place and then it goes into this really tired place. So it goes from that to depression pretty quickly. So I have a few people in my life that deal with this and I had no understanding of it. And even I want to say like in a very not thoughtful way, I have never been anxious or like gotten in my head about health things before. I had like a little pass out thing last week. And then I started getting like, okay, what if I'm driving and I pass out? Like I had all of these crazy, every time I get out of bed in the middle of the night, which I never, ever used to get out of bed in the middle of the night. But now I feel like I'm like waking up because it happened in the middle of the night. And then like I get up and I sit on the edge of my bed and like, just make sure I feel stable, which I'm just doing all of these things that I didn't do before. I also have to say, I was never, 
I don't want to say I didn't believe in concussions because that would make me sound really horrible, but I'm just someone who's always like, you're fine. You're going to be okay. Like, it's not like brush it off. Like I'm that kind of person. I definitely had a concussion. And so Kenzie was saying like, this is God's way or the universe's way of showing you that concussions are real. (laughs) She's like, this is like karma coming back to you because I had a headache for a full week and I couldn't remember, I couldn't like say full, like not, not be able to say full sentences, but like I lost track of what I wanted to say or someone asked me to get peanut butter out of the cupboard and I got honey and I called rice corn. Like I was doing all these random things a couple of days after. Really? Totally. 100%. And then it went away. Yeah. Just in the last couple of days, my headache's gone. The pressure, like I had all this pressure in my head, it's gone. And I feel now, listen, I'm back to normal scattered Kelly, <laughs> normal. <laughs> but I feel like yeah. I, um, I don't even know how I got there. But just saying, like, I'm more empathetic about it. Well, basically, you probably had, me not being a doctor, this is not scientific, but, like, you probably had inflammation. The inflammation that comes along with having concussion. Yes. And I feel like I am just a little bit more empathetic and understanding all the feelings around anxiety. Because I felt, I've never felt anxious before. But all of a sudden I was like having all these feelings of feeling anxious in situations or at times, or what if I'm here by myself or, and I never had that before. So podcast listeners, Kelly basically fainted in the middle of the night at home. So she was not in the most dangerous situation, but anytime you faint, you know, whatever's around you, you could hit your head. Not the best. No, We were all a little bit concerned without suffering from all the other mental issues that are out there. When I was at my height of really dealing with anxiety, I had said to myself and to my friends, it is the most painful thing that I've ever dealt with in my life. Then compared to anything that's physically painful. It's like 2021, everybody's talking about it. Anxiety is a real thing. Depression's a real thing. You know, I remember being a kid feeling these same things and there wasn't a name for it. I didn't know what was normal. Like, how would you know what's normal as a kid? You know? Right. Mental health, I think, is so important. And I feel like, you know, I've heard some people, not in my immediate family, but around say, you know, like, oh, you don't need a counselor. There's nothing wrong with you. Not talking about me, but other, you know, family members. And I feel like, so we go to yearly checkups, we get our teeth cleaned. Like we do all of these other things but we don't think that like our mental health, like that's the most, I almost think that's like the most important thing to keep us going. And if you are in a space where like you're having trouble, you can't figure something out or your head's not right. It doesn't even matter about all any of the other things. So I feel like, I think sometimes people, you know, you said back in the day, they didn't have this or that, or when we were growing up, I think that there is this, you know, perception old school that counseling's bad or therapy or all those things are are not you know needed or important and i think we're both here to say like call your counselor oh yeah have an appointment check in <laughs> check in when you need to yeah and even my friends we always check each other we're like maybe you should check in with your doctor because it seems like 
that might be helpful right now. Like I, I'm so overdue for a check-in. So I feel and like I think like, a lot of people don't, sorry. No, I feel like I go through bouts where I like go to counseling for a little while and then like, I don't need it. And then I need like a booster shot. So like every once in a while I get my like yeah. booster shot. And I also have found, which I've been going to the same counselor for maybe like six years or something. And I haven't gone for quite a while, but I feel like I notice sometimes now, and I even like asked her about this, but sometimes when I text her and say like, Hey, I need an appointment. Like, I mean, like I need an appointment, like now. (laughs) So sometimes she doesn't answer right away. And it's like a day or two later. And she'll say, I have today at four tomorrow at 10. And so on one of the days I had an appointment, I was like, I feel like sometimes you hold off because you want me to work through it myself and like figure out the answer and go through the emotions. And then by the time it's time for me to talk to you, like I've already had to do it. And she's like, right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, But I think that also, I don't think that, I think that's because I've gone to her for so long and she knows me and she knows my patterns. And so knows probably where I'm at. And so she knows that I'm capable in certain situations and she wants me to figure it out. I think that's one of the biggest barriers to entry for people out there who are like, wow, I do wonder, I am curious about what it would be like to talk to a professional about all my issues, but I have to find somebody. And how do I do that? Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest barriers to entry. Even my friends who are very much used to seeing a therapist, they move to a different city and, you know, suddenly a year goes by, they haven't seen a therapist. I was seeing a therapist for like nine years straight. And then I felt like I had the tools and that I could take everything I learned about myself through her and with her. And I was equipped, but then, you know, you throw a, a baby into that and a partner, a new partner into that. And it can get confusing again. Like how do I communicate with this person? Yeah. And, uh, you know, Asa struggles with communication just as much as I do. I don't know. Again, I think Asian people are the worst. We're definitely not. (laughs) It gets spread around. It's not just me. I have to say that I think that Jeff is really good at communicating. I'm trying to think if there's instances that he's not, but I think that he, um, like he'll say like, not a good moment. I need like a little bit of space right now. Um, or even when we were dating, I remember we were supposed to like go out and he was like, listen, I had a super bad day. I just need a night. And my feelings were hurt. And I was like, we had plans. We were going out to dinner And it's circling back around to, he's like, I know, but it's okay for me to have a bad day. And the fact that I love you and care about you. And so I'm saying like, I know myself and I had a bad day and I just need the night. That's because I love you. And I was like, oh, Um, but he knows all of my like nervous twitches or when I'm upset about something and he'll call me out. Like, what do you, you've got something, what's going on in your head? Like your knees bobbling what's wrong? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong. And he's like, there's something wrong. Like, what is it? Just tell me what it is. And I'm like, but he like will pull it out of me sometimes. Um, 
which is interesting because I feel like I'm always the one that's the communicator, but he might be the communicator. So, well, that's good. I'm, you know, Asa makes this face, like he kind of like bites his lip and I'm like, there's something going on up there, upstairs in that head of yours. Um, yeah. You know what? It's interesting that we went for the mental health topic. What just happened in the Olympics is that Simone Biles pulled out of the team final. And I think the first event on the vault, she basically lost where she was in the air. And you could see in her face, like she had no idea where she landed. That's terrible. Like just mental, her mental health was not, it's just anxiety. I don't know if she was having crazy anxiety. But no imagine doing that and it, going that far and then not happening. No, I can't. You know, physically, she's at the top of her game probably, but her mind wasn't, you know, all that pressure, all that pressure. And I can't even imagine what it's like to be her. Like the whole world isn't saying you're awesome. They're saying you're the best. And if you don't prove to us that you're the best right now, then everybody's expectation is completely blown out of the water and it's, you're disappointing the whole world. It's like, it's too heavy. It's too heavy and we're all human. And even the feelings now that she has to deal with in the next week, two weeks, two months, um, because the whole world's watching her and watching even that she did this and having to be okay that she knew she wasn't in the right mental space. Um, Because I think that the pressure continues even if she doesn't, she didn't compete. Have you ever had a moment where you didn't trust yourself? Yeah, I had like a whole two, three years where my confidence was so shook that um, I almost pulled out of gigs and stuff because I was so unsure of myself. Yeah. And it went away, but uh, I also- Was it after like, you got hurt? Yeah, but it was years after. And it was dancing. It wasn't Ariel. Really? Yeah, I like had lost all my confidence in learning, like um, remembering choreography. Crazy. It happens. And the mental stuff is so much harder than the physical stuff because obviously my body could do it. Kel, have you, was there a, did you lose it at any point in your work? So I will say um, that when I was getting divorced, I think that, and maybe it was pre-divorce, like my, in general, I was just like all over the place, like couldn't figure out my life. and you know, I was questioned a little bit about like how I was teaching dance and if I was in and if I was focused. And so all of a sudden dance was always like my super confident space. Like when I teach ballet, now listen, I'm not um, a prima ballerina. Like I was never in a ballet company. So playing field, but I do know a lot and I feel very confident today But at the time I was like, maybe I'm not a good, maybe I'm not a good ballet dance teacher. Like maybe I am to have too many things going on. Maybe I'm not focused. Maybe the bar work isn't good enough. Maybe I'm not taking them to the next level. Maybe I'm not helping their technique. And then two, I am someone, and I think this has come up. I don't know if this has come up, but well, we talked about working too much, but four kids, a full-time job, teaching dance. And I think that when I was getting separated, divorced, it was, you know, partially 
was I a good enough mother? You know, I made a mistake. I made not, I don't want to say a mistake because I don't think any relationship is a mistake, but getting divorced is awful. And so I had all these questions about myself, like how I failed in the relationship, what I didn't do. Was I a good enough mother? Was I screwing up my children's lives? And then at the same exact time I had, which dance was my like happy spot. I just talked about how it's like my, my emotional sound spot and like release in a way where I'm like all soul and all Kelly there. And that wasn't okay. So I had like my personal life and my dance life that were not okay. And I didn't feel confident in either place. And I was just a total hot mess. Now, somehow through that time, work was good. But it was weird because I was like... And I talked about this with my counselor at the time. At work, I was super confident. I knew what I was doing. I was super focused. I was driven. Big things were happening. But then outside of that space, everything was a train wreck. Like I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't feel confident. I questioned every decision I made. I thought everything I was doing was wrong. I was like good and strong and happy and confident here. And then like sappy and crying and a mess over here, dance and everything. But it all happened at one time and it was pretty horrible. <laughs> um, and then I think I got separated. I kept going to counseling. I did a lot of yoga. I feel like yoga is such a good sound spot for me. And I, at the time, was going to Aaron King, which we have met Aaron. But it was like he brought me into this like present spot of like, what's going on now? How can you focus in and let all the noise go away? And then I started taking ballet classes, like personally taking ballet classes when I traveled. So if I was in Chicago, I took a class at Joffrey. If I was in LA, I took a class at The Edge. If I was at New York City, I'd go take a class at the Broadway Dance Center. And I started taking classes and then I would be in the class and I would be like, that's what I would have said. Or I do that. Or I needed to be reminded that I did know what I was doing and I could do it. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the relationship I was in wasn't in a good space for me. And so I think coming out of that, it was like, no, I am a good mom. I maybe am not a mom that some other, the other way moms are, but like, I'm a good mom and it's mm -hmm. okay if I work and it's okay if I teach play yeah. and I can still be a really good mom and do those things. Moms all across the world are like, oh, I'm a bad mom because I'm always with my kids and I can't give them what they need because I'm always busy. Or I'm a bad mom because I'm not around my kids. So all those hours that I'm not around them, but when I am around them, I'm there hundred percent. You know, it's like, you can't win this argument with yourself. Yeah. I've been having it and I still can't, you know, it's like, I mean, I've been a parent for 21 years, right? That's a long time to be a parent. But back in the day, if I screwed something up or I missed library day, I like had this like horrible, like I am a horrible parent. I can't get it right. These poor children have a mother that they that can't remember library day. <laughs> but now when I show up to theater camp and Mason's getting out and I realize I left his lunch in the refrigerator and he doesn't have a bottle of water. I don't even think any of those things. I just run to the store and grab a few things and put them in a bag and come back and drop off a water bottle. Like I feel like I 
now embrace who I am. It's not like I don't try still to like get it right and do all the things. But before I would have like beat myself up for like the next three days. And now I'm just like, okay, forgot the lunch. What can we do to fix it? And I fix it. Look at the look at the growth happening here, Kel. This is major growth. I hope all moms you hear this that like it's okay to f up, and we all do, and we all have strengths and things that are amazing about us, and like thrive in your strengths, and do all the things. Love your kids, like love them. And guess what? Mason doesn't think I. Back in the day, I feel like I probably was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I'm terrible." And now I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm sorry. Go into theater camp. I'm going to run, grab you a few things. He probably liked that lunch. Better than the one from home, right? Because you got it from like you said, Tim Hortons, (laughs) which is like probably not very often. You know, Kelly, I was thinking about this idea of like anxiety and confidence. And I feel like there must be a time in every adult's life where all, you know, you know that you're capable but you lose that confidence for one reason or another. And when you're in that moment, getting it back is really challenging. Really, really challenging. And I have to say, when I went through my couple years of that, I dreaded being in rehearsal. I dreaded performance because I didn't trust myself anymore. Right. And I think about what just happened with Simone Biles. And I have so much empathy for that because the mental game is at the end of the day, way harder than the physical game. If you come through bumps in your life and you lose your confidence, whatever it is, whether it's parenting or some people lose their confidence while driving and then how that changes your life. Like you don't feel like you're safe anymore um, or you lose your confidence in your job, you know? And for me, I could have easily retired at that point. And I didn't, but I could have easily, because I was already at the age. I was already in my mid-30s when that happened. I was in rehearsal with, with girls, like super young compared to me. And they didn't have the same things in their head as I did. Oh my God, Kelly, I have a story for you. Oh no. We all know the choreographer, Mandy Moore. Yes. She's a huge choreographer. Yes huge choreographer. I could list all of her credits, but it would take me forever. She's done like the Oscars. She's done a million things. Did she do um, City of Stars? Not City of Stars. That's a song from the movie. La La Land. She did La La Land. She was that choreographer. Really quick. I want to say that I was at the edge and she came and taught a class. So I did not take the class, but I was watching our my students, our students take a class from her and she's super serious and no joke in the sense. Oh yeah. She was like, I didn't ask for a double. I asked for a single, like just the way she was like, well, now listen, not in a bad way. I'm not saying that she, she was amazing. She also had great, um, personality, but she was tough. Like she wasn't, um, she's scary. If you ask me as a, as a choreographer and a director, she's scary. I was scared, but there's a reason why I was scared because I was going through my divorce. I had my students going up in a recital that I was running that same weekend. And basically I was in this job that I've been hired for this one job by this casting director years and years and years in a row. The choreographers didn't pick the dancers. So she didn't pick me. I was there for her to use. She had to put all of us in a number and there were like four numbers. And so the schedule was kind of chopped up, blah, blah, blah. 
I had to miss one of her rehearsals and mentally I wasn't even there. Yeah. So basically I had the worst experience as showing myself as a dancer, showing myself as a professional to this woman. And I considered going up to her so many times saying, I just want to apologize. I'm going through a divorce right now. I'm trying to focus. It's really challenging. But I decided that it wasn't the professional thing to do at that moment. And I still go back and forth wondering if I should have said something. Because basically I was just one of, you know, she's got all these like chess pieces and she's got to put them all together and make it look good. And one of her chess pieces, she can't trust. Right. And she didn't know me from anybody. Like what? She doesn't know anything about me. What do you think about that decision for me not to say anything? Okay. So when you first started saying this, I feel like, uh, you know, I don't know if I should give this book a shout out because I feel like there's controversy, controversy over the author. But Rachel Hollis wrote this book called Girl Stop Apologizing. And just in general, okay. we don't have to talk about Rachel Hollis, but girls apologize. We apologize for freaking everything. I, I, I still do it. I'm trying. I think I'm better than I used to be, but we're constantly saying I'm sorry for everything. So in one sense, I'm like, no, you, you got through it, obviously. You did your part. And I feel like apologizing in one sense is like not showing weakness, but like, what are you apologizing? What were you really apologizing for? In the sense, you were probably in your head and you probably were doing all the things you needed to do. No, but I wasn't. I was obviously fucking okay. up. I okay. was. So I, I kind of wanted to say something so there would be context around why I was fucking okay, up. Okay. So listen, I think it also is what makes you feel okay, right? So sometimes it, it, makes me feel better to say, listen, I feel super bad about how I was the last week. I passed out and I, I've been crazy and whatever. I think it's what, I think sometimes when we apologize, it's more for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And so I decided that moment that it would just add more to her plate. She was obviously really like frazzled. And if I was in her position and a dancer came up to me saying they were having like the hardest time in their life and they, and it just coincided with this job it would give me context, but I'd be like, okay. Right. <laughs> you know, what do you want me to, you want me to take you out of this, this, this gig? Yeah. So I decided that just to do my best and to not say anything, but I still remember that week like it was yesterday because not only did I feel like a complete, like, un, like unprofessional, I felt crazy. I felt like I didn't have any of my tools, any of my skill set that I worked so hard for because mentally and, and emotionally I was struggling and I was like devastated, you know, and I didn't have what I normally had. Right. So that was a really hard time in my life. And sometimes I look back and I'm like, how could I have dealt with some of those situations differently? And I don't really know the answer to that even now. Well, and I guess in general, that's part of life for us is we're still all freaking trying to figure it out. And I feel like in the whole sense of complete full circle is that you said that one of the things this podcast has really taught you and probably your other podcast, because shout out, shout out, you have another one. I've got two. <laughs> two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
Everyone is dealing, everyone's going through things. Everyone has relationships issues, communication issues, confidence issues. And Simone Biles at the Olympics right now, even though she's elite peak, the go of gymnastics, she too is struggling with a lot of these things that we all are. Yeah. Yeah. No one's singled out. You know, every single person goes through it. You might think somebody that you see on Instagram hasn't made and underlying, you know, maybe they're okay today. Maybe they're great today. But like five years ago, they had like, you know, a couple of years where they couldn't get out of bed. Right. And you don't know about it because it's not something that like people share necessarily with the world, especially if you're not close to those people. So definitely greener grass moment of perspective because... I, I just feel for a person who's going through it right now and you're watching it because you're like, wow, they're going to get through this, but sometimes you don't know how. And sometimes you don't know how long. Right. It's not like just a switch that you can flick on and off, which is why sports and anything that is, it seems to be, well, maybe not. I, maybe musicians go through the same thing. Maybe everybody goes through it where you're just like, I just lost my confidence and I can't, I can't do what I know how to do. So anyways, it's really interesting. And if I have, if I ever figure out the answers, Kelly, I'm, our podcast listeners will be the first to know, <laughs> but I don't think it's going to happen. Waiting and listening for that to happen. Thank you so much for tuning into Greener Grass. Thanks to Asa Watkins for post-production. And listeners, if you go to our show notes, you can join our list for any breaking news to become part of the Greener Grass family. And if you would honor us with a five-star rating and a review anywhere you get your podcasts, it will really help other people find us. Thanks so much for listening. You have been listening to Greener Grass, a podcast.